We are glad that you are here with us on a Tuesday night as we continue in our series. We're calling DMs, our dating and uh, marriage uh, series. And if you were here last week, Jared talked about how dating without direction is just drama. And that the direction of the dating that you're engaging in should be towards the direction of pursuing God. And honestly, what we're going to talk about tonight is really kind of the same principle. And so tonight, we are going to be talking about lo- uh, about singleness, all right? Not loneliness, uh, that's the wrong topic, but uh, it's kind of similar too. So, um, man, so singleness, right? And uh, when we get those laughters, right, about like singleness, loneliness, things, like it can be a little bit of a heavy topic. I understand that. And uh, I just want to address right now, okay, I, I am married. I'm married to my wife, and we've been married for six years. Uh, I've, been, I, I've been on the end of it when you're single, and you're listening to somebody who is married talk to you about singleness, it's like, what, is he, what does he know, right? That he's not even in that stage. I, I just wanna tell you, I understand that, okay? I, and, and I get that. I wanna let you know I, w- I was there with you in that stage of singleness at one point, and I'm not here tonight to tell you all of my different opinions on singleness, but what I'm here to do tonight is to uh, open up God's word like we do every week here at Young Adults, and we're gonna see what does scripture have to say about singleness. What does it have to say? I have two really um, um, goals with what we're doing here tonight. And that, that first goal is this, is that we would understand uh, what, what God's word has to say about singleness. Like, what does it say in general? And then practical application of, uh, I am single, what do I do with that? And if you're sitting here and it's like, uh, some of y'all in the room are married, engaged, uh, you're in a relationship, and you might be thinking like, cool, check it off, I'm good to go. I've been really surprised as I've studied and prepared for this, how much this topic has really spoken to me at 30 and married. uh, I just think it's so relevant. And I think the principles that we take from it can impact you in any stage of life, no matter what you're in. Uh, And I think it's it's kind of funny, uh, not not funny maybe, but uh, it's confusing a little bit because in our culture, and in our society, we really like to uh, pit singleness against marriage. It's like singleness is, is bad and marriage is good. And that they're, you know, one, is, one is not very good and the other is, is much better. But what God's word actually has to say, as we're going to see, is that singleness is a gift. And some of you are like, let me return that gift. I don't want it. I didn't ask for that. Singleness, uh, according to God's word, is truly a gift. And I would, I would look at it like this. If I were to find you after this service and I handed you a $100 bill, you would say, that's a good gift. Keep that coming. Thank you. Um, if I found you after the service and I handed you a $100 Amazon gift card, you would also say, that's a good gift. Some of y'all would like a Target gift card, maybe uh, some of the ladies in the room, you guys too. Uh, I don't know what kind of gift card you want, but uh, we would say those are good gifts, right? The thing is, is they're different gifts. Both of them are good, but they're different. They have different things attached to them, different uh, stipulations and freedoms with it, but both are good gifts. And I'm here to say tonight, right, right off the bat, is that singleness and marriage are both good gifts 
from God. And we're going to look at what God's word has to say about that um, and how it shakes out. And so we're going to be most of the night tonight in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 tonight. And I just want to encourage you, if you're a YouVersion Bible app person, whether you're joining us online or in the room, you can go uh, open that up, go to events, and you can find uh, Young Adults Live, and uh, we're there, and you can follow along the sermon notes with us. But we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a good portion of tonight. And I want to give you a little bit of backdrop about 1 Corinthians as we get started. And so 1 Corinthians is a book written by a man named Paul. Many of you are familiar with Paul, Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was someone who was actually a persecutor of the church who stood by as Christians were being killed. I think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Paul was present as the church was being persecuted. But his life was radically transformed when, he had, uh, uh, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And Paul went from a persecutor of the church to the greatest Christian missionary, arguably, of all time. So if you're in here tonight and you're within a church and you feel uncomfortable, like, man, I don't belong, just know you're in good company. The person who wrote many of the books in the New Testament was once an enemy of the cross. So I want to say that that you belong real quick. Uh, And in this letter, Paul, right, is now kind of a leader within the church. Paul is writing to a group of Christians living in a place called Corinth. He's writing to a group of Christians in a place called Corinth. And what he's doing in this letter is, uh, honestly, uh, the Corinthians were kind of wilding out a little bit. So in some of the letter, he's rebuking the behavior that they have. In other, letter, in, in other portions, he's kind of teaching some basics of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to live a life uh, that is dedicated to Christ. And so that's kind of the beginning of the book. And as it transitions into chapter 7 here, Paul begins answering some questions that have been passed along to him that the Corinthians had. I don't know how they were passed along, but he's obviously addressing some things. And I'll say this, my challenge to you, my homework for you, is go this week and read 1 Corinthians chapter seven. And it is a, it is a big chapter. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's some great things for you to work through and wade through and, and break down. We can't cover it all tonight, but I wanna challenge you to go and do that. But Paul really in 1 Corinthians chapter seven as he's talking and he's addressing um, some things with, that, that deal with uh, sexuality and he's talking to singleness and marriage and he's addressing some of these things. And what he says here in 1 Corinthians 7 verses 6 through 9 I think are some of the most powerful words that can be spoken to someone who is single. And this is what it says. It says, uh, Paul says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Verse eight says, to the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So out of this section of scripture right here, I wanna point out three things. In verse six, notice that Paul says, this is a concession and not a command. What we need to know is this is still God's word, right? It was inspired by God. So uh, what Paul's saying here still has a lot of validity to it. It's completely valid. And what he's saying is by saying this is a concession and not a command, he's basically telling the Corinthian people, hey, I'm giving you permission. I'm not commanding you to stay single, but I'm giving you permission that this is okay. That's what he's telling them. And in verse seven, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, single, but each has his own gift from God, 
one of one kind and one of another. Notice that here Paul is saying that he views his singleness as a gift from God. That is very countercultural to what we see in our society right now. I don't think there's too many people out there uh, viewing singleness as a gift. And I want to tell you, we're going we're gonna to talk about why it is a gift and why it's okay if you're single and you have a desire to be married one day, that that is a good desire and that there's nothing wrong with that. We're going to talk about that. We'll get there. But I think we need to take some of the scariness out of single and understand not what we feel, right? Not what society is telling us, but what God's word says is that it is a gift. And Paul recognizes this singleness as a gift. Now, if you, if you were in, following me in verses 8 and 9, you notice that in verse 9 he says, uh, But if someone cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul is recognizing here, hey, I get it. You will have sexual urges that you want fulfilled. And if that's you, like it is better that you marry. And in our, our world, right, where we treat sex as some throwaway casual thing, Paul is once again affirming that this is something that happens within the context of marriage. And we're gonna see in, we're gonna look at, that, that's what Paul says, right? But Jesus had something to say about this too. And he affirms exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, uh, the book of Matthew is one of the four gospel books we see in the Bible. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are basically giving a synopsis, a rundown, a general summary of Jesus' life. That's why they're referred to, if you're ever reading and you see that uh, they're called the synoptic gospels, it's because they're giving a synopsis of Jesus' life. So in Matthew chapter 19, as Jesus is going about and he's doing ministry, he has these people named Pharisees who are often coming to him and they're trying to trap him. They're trying to test him, uh, to get him to stumble on things, and they don't believe that Jesus is truly the Messiah. They're trying, they're, they're like in this power struggle where these religious leaders, these Pharisees, are, are losing some of their control, and they don't like that Jesus is taking that from them. And so it creates a lot of tension. And so in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees basically come to Jesus with some questions in regard to divorce. Again, I would encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 19, um, and you can see what's going on here. But for sake of time, really what they're, what's happening is they're trying to question him, and they're trying to basically get him to say that divorce is fine and it's okay, and um, Jesus rebukes that and, and kind of corrects the Pharisees. But then his disciples, as so often Jesus did, he has a conversation with the crowd, and then he goes and teaches his disciples. And this is the conversation we pick up here in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12. It says, uh, the disciples said to him, said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're saying like, hey, all this you've said about divorce, right? Isn't it better that people just don't marry? Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only, to the, only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. 
Now, if you're like me and you start reading that, uh, you're like eunuchs. Number one, it's like, what is that? This is someone who was not able to, for whatever reason, have sexual relations, right? And so uh, in that time, this is something that seems very uh, foreign to us, very kind of cultural. It's like uh, some people were born that way, right? And that still happens today. Some people were made that way uh, by other men. It's kind of like, what is, what is that talking about? That culturally during this time, what would actually happen sometimes is some men who served within like the king's palace and things would be made a eunuch, would be made where they could not have sexual relations in order to protect what the king had going on, okay? And so for us culturally where that feels like, that's kind of weird, why is he talking about that? For the audience of Matthew, it would have been something that they understood. But the importance of that, the reason why we go through all the things to talk about that is Jesus again is saying, sex is designed within the context of marriage. And we're gonna talk more about that. Next week, we're gonna talk about marriage um, some more. And then the week following that, we're gonna be talking about really sexual purity and what that looks like. But I, I can't read that. And then we're in a series about dating and marriage and not say something about that. But let's hop back, Matthew chapter 19. What is Jesus saying? He's saying again, that singleness is a gift that is given to some people. But only, you know, some people can receive that. And he's alluding to, just like Paul did, some of the gift of singleness that we're going to unpack in just a minute. So it's important to note, Paul said it, Jesus said it, regardless of what we feel, we should look at the truth of God's word and see, okay, why is this a gift? Why is it a gift? Uh, this is a part right here where um, I, I just want you to, if you're, if you're single, just go ahead and hold your hand up boldly and proclaim it. Come on. Right there, raise it high, you're proud, come on. And leave it up, you maybe take a look around a little bit and see what's going on. Y'all knew that was coming, I had to do that in, in this, this message. Uh, here's the deal, if you just raised your hand, guess what, whether you want it or not, you have the gift of singleness right now. Come on, everybody clap for all the single people in the room. There we go, we're taking the scary away from it. The gift of singleness, you have the gift of singleness, you do. And now statistics would show us that most people in this room will get married at some point in time. But for right now, if you raise your hand, you have the gift of singleness. And I've, I've really wrestled with this, is why do we not view this as a gift? Before, some of y'all are, are, hold on, wait, we're gonna get to why it is a gift. But I think it's important we unpack, why do we not even view it that way in the first place? Why do we not view it that way? And uh, I've got a three-year-old daughter, her name's Nova. You might've seen her uh, around over here uh, before the service trying to get on stage and whatnot. Uh, she's, she's crazy, all right? Y'all should pray for me, I tell you that, and I'm serious. Uh, but I love her to death. And uh, yeah, it, it's gonna, I, I don't wanna think about her dating one day and all of those things. But uh, with Nova, I've been watching, we watch movies with her. And one of the movies we watched was How to Train a Dragon. And so some of y'all a little younger than I am and maybe you watched that like when it came out in theaters. I had never really seen it, but I watched it with my daughter, How to Train a Dragon. And there's a lead character in How to Train a Dragon called Hiccup. Anyone remember that, right? What a terrible, I think they should recast that. That's a bad lead cast uh, a name, but this, this character, Hiccup, he, he says in the beginning, and this gives some insight into what we're talking about, of the movie, he says, man, if I can just kill a dragon, not only will I be accepted by my father, right? Uh, and I'm a Viking and this will be awesome, but I can finally get a girlfriend too. 
I can finally get a girlfriend too. This is what Hiccup says in How to Train a Dragon. But what I saw by that is like, man, from the time we are young, we, we, we are told this thing that once you can finally have this relationship, you will be fulfilled. And it's not just in that movie, it's not just in the context of entertainment, but this is something that I think we, we buy into, that this will be what truly fulfills me. And I think if we look at God's word, we have to understand that, man, you have a God-sized void in your heart that only he can fill, that only God can fill. But why is, why is singleness a gift? Paul goes on to kind of answer some of that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 and 35, through 35. He gives a little bit of a comparison and a contrast between a person who is married and someone who is not married. And this is what he says. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so Paul starts laying out, here is why singleness can be a gift for you, is that you are free from the anxieties of the world. You do not have divided interests. You do not have divided interests. You're free from the anxieties of the world. Elsewhere in, in, in chapter seven, he talks about how time is of the essence, that we live in a world that, man, our time on, on, on earth is brief and it's short. And if we're not on mission for God, we're missing the mark. And he's saying, hey, there's a sense of urgency with, what, with what's going on. And his biggest concern, his biggest gift is saying, you have undivided devotion to the Lord that in singleness, that is somewhat more readily accessible to you than for someone who is married. And uh, I think we have to put some like practical pieces onto what this looks like. How does this uh, gift play out? And so what I wanna do is I wanna kinda give you some examples uh, from my own experiences of, of really some of the gifts of singleness. And uh, it's funny because I was sitting down and I was talking through this message with my wife as I often do, and uh, we're talking we're like, man, there are things from when we are single that we miss. I was talking to Jared about it, and it's like, the grass is always greener on the other side. But I'll give you a couple examples. Usually what this comes out on, this undivided interest, is that you have freedom. You have freedom that someone who is married does not have. You have freedom in a different way. And, uh, you know, I think about it like this. One of the, the categories I would say you have freedom in is your time. And you have freedom in your time. Uh, this weekend, my wife was able to go and grab coffee with someone uh, without our kids. And I don't know if you know this, but you, when you get married, a lot of times kids follow within that uh, very often. Uh, and so your time gets less and less, okay? And uh, it was like so funny for me to watch my wife who's just like so refreshed from just getting to get out on her own. Jared laughs here because he knows he's living in that world. It, it was like so refreshing to see that uh, she, she was like refreshed from getting to spend time and so not only is it like very practically, you have time to do what you want to do with it, but then from a spiritual perspective, you have time 
to really pour into discipleship relationships. You have time to be laser focused on spending it with other people, to invest in other people in a way that you're not always going to get to. And so this gift of time that you have, you can either use and leverage it to the kingdom of God, or you can just kind of waste it. You can use, some of you are in here and you're searching, you're like, man, uh, I'm giving this God thing a try. I'm coming because somebody invited me and I'm here. Do you know what you have right now is you have time, if you're single, to process through these things and to grow in your relationship with God. This time is a blessing. What about else you have freedom in? You really have freedom uh, financially. And uh, I want to let you know that a lot of times I, uh, I go home, I drive my uh, 1997 green Nissan Altima home, and I pull into my driveway, and uh, I see a Target package. And I'm thinking, huh, I, I didn't buy that. But you know what? I did buy that because we bought that. And so every time I come home and we got a Target package on the front porch, I bought, a tar- I bought something from Target. And it's great. And I love it. And, and I have no idea where it goes and what it is sometimes. But we needed it. Okay? We needed it. Y'all, if you're single, you're laughing. The dumb serious. You have financial freedom. You have financial freedom to invest in the things that you want to do. It's a lot less stressful, right? Can I talk to you men for a second? It's a, as you're, you're designed to lead your family financially, that's a little bit of a pressure for you. And I would be lying to you if I didn't admit to you that sometimes I feel that pressure and it can be a worry and it can be an anxiety for me. Now, it's a great opportunity to stretch my faith, to grow my faith, but I have a wife and two kids who I'm responsible for caring for. When you're single, you don't have as much of that pressure. But one of the things you have is that you can choose to leverage your finances for the kingdom of God. Again, see that pattern that's developing. You know, even whenever uh, we feel prompted to give to something, and I do a lot of the financial management uh, in our household, and that looks different in every relationship. But I always check with Emma if we're going to give to something Maybe I feel compelled to do it. I still check with her to see what she thinks. Why? Because it's our money. We are unified as one flesh. And so uh, sometimes I cannot act as quickly. I cannot act in the same manner as someone who is single could. Let's talk about um, decision making. You know, and practically what this looks like, we talked about some of the financial things. Like when I'm making decisions uh, about retirement, it's not just for me anymore. When I'm making decisions about health insurance and dental insurance and uh, all of these different things, it's not just for me, it's for everybody. And I'm keeping track of, and we're keeping track of multiple doctor bills and things like that. Your decision making gets a little more complex. I'll present you with a scenario. Uh, At one point in time, uh, my my wife and I had a a good friend of ours, couple, approach us and ask us if we would be interested in moving to Austin, Texas to plant a church. And, uh, you know, that decision-making process was really the first time that as a married couple, we had to go through something where we were making a big decision together. And can I be honest with you, it was kind of clunky for us a little bit. We had to really like figure out what do, what do we do with this? How do, how do we do this? Some of you in your singleness, you have the freedom to make decisions as you feel God leading you. It's a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier. And can I just say like, I haven't even seen Spider-Man yet, Okay. Um, many of you have seen Spider-Man. I would love to have the freedom to go and see Spider-Man, the new movie. Um, I hear it's great. Um, don't spoil it for me. I'll be upset. That's a, that's a silly example of some freedom that you have. I'm going to just sit with the Spider-Man thing for a minute. I don't feel like that got the response that it should have, but I'll try again next week. But I'm saying this, and, and I make light of some of those things, and some of you, I, I, I get it. If I was you, I'd be thinking, I'm ready for that. 
I've had this long enough. I wanna get rid of this singleness thing because I want all those problems you just talked about. And I'll say, okay, I understand you, I hear you. Can I tell you, if you're looking for marriage to be this magic bullet, it's not gonna be. Marriage is not a magic bullet to cure all of your different problems. It won't be. I mentioned it earlier, you have a void in your heart. And it starts with that we were created by God to be unified with him and to be united with him in relationship. That is the ultimate longing that you have in your heart. If you're here tonight and you have anxieties and worries and hopelessness and you don't know your purpose, you don't understand it, can I tell you, if you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, that is what your heart is longing for. It's longing for it. You have a void that cannot be filled by anything other than what Jesus did on the cross. It just won't happen. And you can spend your whole life seeking one thing after another, marriage, kids, education, jobs, retirement, financial success, vacations, entertainment, and you're seeking all these different things, but none of it will ever fulfill you outside of a relationship with Jesus. Because you know what that relationship with Jesus is gonna do? It's going to take those things, it's gonna make them good. It's gonna make them better. It's gonna make them as good as they possibly can be. Marriage is not a magic bullet to cure all of your problems. And I think a lot of times, we are a lonely society. Like we laughed at that at the beginning, right? But if you looked at people, and especially coming off of the pandemic, as you looked at statistics, people are lonely and they're searching for community. Marriage is not a magic bullet created to solve your loneliness. Can I tell you that when my wife and I first got married, this is my experience, that was one of the loneliest times in my life. And here's what I mean. We entered into a whole new phase of community, a whole new stage of life, and we didn't have a ton of people around us who were in that same stage with us. And I remember feeling very lonely in that stage of my life because it was not a magic cure for that. Now, marriage is still a good gift. Please don't, please don't hear me saying tonight that marriage is not a good gift, because it is. But it doesn't just cure all of your loneliness. Marriage doesn't just cure all of your circumstances. Do you know that there are things that happen in life that you don't want to happen? You can't control your health. You can't control your finances. You can't control your job security. All of these things that we're always grasping onto. And, and it's good. We should care about them. We should focus on them. But you can't control everything. I mean, you don't know if down the road, like you're gonna get married and then what do you want? You want kids and maybe you can't have kids or somebody gets sick, your spouse might pass away. I don't know what it may be, but you'll never be able to control all of your circumstances. And so my encouragement to you is what we don't need to lean on is like this idea of marriage as being the cure-all for everything. It's not gonna be. What we have to rely on is the gospel of Jesus. That's what we have to rely on. One of my challenges for you, I remember hearing this when I was in college and it, and it still sticks with me, is that we need to become, like when you're single, you need to become the person you're looking for is looking for. What an opportunity you have to do that. If you're looking for a certain person, a certain type of person, are you becoming that person? Are you moving in this direction? Are you moving in the same direction that you would be looking for someone? Are you even at a place spiritually where you're ready for that if it presented yourself? What an opportunity you have to seek God in that time. 
And here's what I want to say. I want to say this. I was talking through this with Pastor Eddie today. And uh, I don't want any of you in here who are single to think that we should go around pitying you. And what I mean by that is I should not go around and view someone with pity because they are single, because you are worth more than your relationship status. You're worth more than your relationship status. You know what? I don't pity some of you who are in single, who are some some of my, my great friends in life are in this room and some of them are single. I don't pity them at all because I look at them and I see that they have joy, that they have purpose in their life, that they have direction, they have good things going for them and all of that stems from their relationship with Jesus. And so we need to take some of the scariness out of single Some of us who are are in a different stage in here, if you're engaged, you're married, we shouldn't look at people who are single with pity. That's something that society's feeding us because God certainly, clearly from his word, doesn't pity you. That you're worth more than your relationship status. I cannot tell you. It's a confusing thing for me. Can I just admit this to you right now? It's a confusing thing for me sometimes. Because I look at some of the godliest people that I know, and I, and I especially think that sometimes it's hard for, for uh, the ladies who are in the crowd. Some of the godliest women that I know, and I know that they have a desire in their heart to be in a relationship, and yet it's something that they don't have and they've asked God for it. And sometimes I get to questioning, like, God, what, what are you doing? Why are you not answering their prayers? Why are you not listening? And I'm, I'm getting frustrated on their behalf. But can I tell you, like my respect level for, for those people is so high. It is seriously like, it is, I'm not just saying that because it's a message on singleness. My respect level for those people is so extremely high. Some of you guys in here, maybe you've tried, maybe you've been rejected and multiple times, one time after another, but you're still pursuing God. You still have joy. You still treat other girls with respect. Like I have the utmost respect for you. I really do. And I don't look at you with pity because that's not the way that God looks at you. And we talk about this all the time of having our God goggles on here at High Street and, uh, and, and young adults, it's kind of a silly thing and we laugh at it, but having your God goggles on, like we're not, we're, when you view someone the way God sees them, we don't have to view, we're not viewing someone with pity, we're viewing them as who God created them to be. And my challenge is you to this is, is I hope this gives you hope Because what I want for you, if that is a desire you have in your heart is to be in a relationship, my encouragement, my desire for you is keep on praying for it. Keep on asking God for it. He is a good God who loves to give good things to his people. And I would just tell you, keep on asking. I don't know how long you have to ask, but if that's a desire that you have in your heart and there's nothing in in scripture that says you shouldn't have that desire, keep on asking God for it. Keep on wrestling with God for it. I'm gonna keep on wrestling on behalf of some of those people for those things. And that wrestling, what it should do is it should move us closer to God. I think the saddest thing in young adulthood in a variety of circumstances is when we're wrestling with God about things, we draw away from him but our wrestling with God should draw us towards him. And so my encouragement for you today is if you're someone who's in that single stage of life and and probably someone who doesn't want to be, my encouragement is you, is see the gift that's there? My encouragement to you is to keep pressing in, to leaning in to God, to view the gifts that you have and take advantage of it because you can be on mission in such a powerful way.
you can be on mission in such a powerful way. I wanna ask you to bow your heads.